Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions and provides unbiased answers. Invest Talk, over 31 million downloads and counting. I wanted to get your opinion on ticker symbol. I just really like it as a long term play. I uh, appreciate the show, appreciate all the knowledge. Thanks, guys. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, November 1st, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. Yep, it is November. I hope everyone had a great holiday, a uh, great Halloween. Hopefully, uh, maybe you have some kids, had some uh, good trick or treating. I know uh, we, we had some fun around here, and uh, but that also means that we pivot now towards the holiday season and no matter what time of year it is, rain or shine, day or night, you need to be making steps, taking steps to make good financial decisions. And whether that's saving, whether that's investing, whether that's spending it properly, all of those factors go into you achieving your own version of financial freedom. So I'm here to help you hopefully with all of it. I know we talk a lot about investing and investing is certainly uh, the most interesting part, probably, of uh, those three factors. But we want you to have good money habits in general. And so I'm going to do my best on this podcast to operate with a mission statement, which is independent thinking and shared success. And that's our assurance to you. Now, no matter what I'm speaking about, I'm here to give you the facts as I see them and present it all without bias using my 20 plus years of investment experience. So I'm Justin Klein, and of course, I, of course, I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions, and when you do that, you get to shape this show to however you want it to look. I can talk about whatever is on my mind, but ultimately, you are the one that matters. So you can call right now during our live stream program, 4 to 5 Pacific Time, or leave a question on our Anytime Voice Bank at 888 chart So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, my name is Mike. I had a question about ticker symbol CEI, Camber Energy. I have a small position in it, and uh, I was just wondering if it's a good time to you holding it or uh, perhaps a, a downside in my portfolio. I appreciate the show. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, looking at Camber Energy, and this is a small company, three hundred four million dollar market cap they are engaged in the exploration and production of oil and natural gas properties in texas problem is is they're not producing anything trailing they've had a hundred thousand dollars in revenue for the past four quarters losing money so they're exploring and not getting a much out of it I, I don't know why you would invest in a company that just can't seem to Find oil. I, I don't understand the problem here. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know what. Yeah, I like the space. It's an oil and ga gas EMP, and those that can actually drill, they don't have an ESG mandate. They're going to earn outsized profits in this environment. 
because they don't have the big competitors that have a lot of money typically to go out there and uh, drill, baby drill, uh, like they would in a normal upcycle for uh, oil and gas. And it's the smaller players are the ones that should be able to do that, like this. But they're not able to do it, <laughs> because, or at least they're not being successful at it. So it had a big spike up. Now it's back down. It went from... I don't know, so about 40 cents a share in August to $4.50 a share in mid-September. And now we're down to $1.22 to close today. I don't know why you'd want to mess around with this. Go invest in a real company that produces real products, that has real revenue. This is a company that just eats up shareholder capital. So, and they've been doing that for a decade. Their operating cash flow for the last decade has been negative. So I don't know what this company's doing, but it's certainly not successful. And I don't know why you'd ever touch anything like this. Sell it. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. In one of the most volatile markets in decades, active fund managers underperformed. We're going to look at that. Also, we're, we're going to touch on the onshoring or the farewell of, of offshoring and outsourcing, and where CEOs are now shifting to onshoring and some trends there. Also, central banks are now looking to pivot to tighter monetary policy, not just here in the U.S. Remember, Fed meeting starts tomorrow. Uh, there'll be an announcement on Wednesday uh, in regards to tapering of QE, and it's not just here in the U.S., but Canada, U.K., etc., we are getting tighter monetary policy and what that could mean for interest rates and markets. And then lastly, Exxon is thinking about abandoning some of its biggest oil and gas projects. Another shot across the bow of oil and gas and more crimping of new supply. Now you're listening to Talk. Oh, actually, let's look at the market today touch on the market. You had kind of a mixed market. The S&P was up eight points modestly, but you had the NASDAQ that was up 97 points and the Russell, that was the big mover today. The small caps were up 60 points, almost 3% on the Russell, which was a change of, of scenery. They were the laggards to, to break out. And it looks like we're getting a bit of a breakout pre, uh, pre-Fed meeting. Uh, now, what does that mean? Well, it probably means some more bullishness till the end of the year, uh, but that's what I'm seeing right now. Uh, we are continuing to get new earnings announcements, and they are tending to beat, and the beats are getting rewarded more than the misses are being punished. So that's kind of what's happening uh, in the market today. You had gold up. You had interest rates, the 10-year. That was up about two basis points to 1.575, going into, once again, a very important and crucial Fed meeting for markets. Now, you're listening to Talk. I'm Justin Klein. With all the changes we see happening, it's important to keep your eye on the ball. The task of building your own version of financial freedom must continue each and every day, and we are here to help you not backslide in that endeavor. Now, we should talk about whatever is on your mind. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? 
Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk alize quiz. Hi, I have a question regarding toy stock options in 401k. I work for the Royal Bank of Canada, RBC ticker RY. In our 401k, they give us an employee stock option where it looks like we get to buy stock at a discount. And uh, it looks like when we we buy that, the dividends just get reinvested into the stock. I started buying into this in my 401k at the beginning of the stay-at-home orders, and it has grown into a significant part of my 401k. So my allocation is I only invest 1% of my check every time, but it has grown into about a 12% of my 401k. My question is, what are your thoughts of the Royal Bank of Canada for long term? And is this too much of my allocation? Should I be taking part of that and reinvesting into something else? Thank you. Well, 12% of your overall retirement assets in in one stock, it's a bit high. Um, but I don't think 12% really raises a ton of red flags for me. It's not 20 plus percent. I think 20 is is definitely too high. 10 to 15 is kind of my range that you want to be in. You're kind of want to, you're kind of in the middle of that. So that's, that's fine. Um, and Royal Bank of Canada, obviously a very large bank. And, um, you know, the biggest worry is there are, uh, there's some frothiness in the Canadian housing market, but you could say that about a lot of, a lot of regions. Uh, but it's also a sector that is highly regulated and governments want to keep them together. Now, does that mean that, Royal Bank of Canada will be a great investment long term. You know, it's okay. Return on equity is pretty high, about 18% uh, trailing 12 months. That's pretty good. And historically, it does have a mid to high teens return on equity, which is very good. But like most banks, you work for one, uh, they're, they're pretty leveraged, and that can bring some volatility, like you saw in 08. Um, so, what I would do is just make sure it doesn't get too much higher than where it is now. Uh, like you said, it's, it, you're adding to it, uh, you're investing more, you're getting that discount, you're getting dividends, etc. Just uh, make sure it doesn't balloon too much. You know, so many people back in uh, we had people in Qualcomm days, the heydays of the the, the first tech bubble, had they were multimillionaires because they had so much te- uh, Qualcomm stock, and, and then Qualcomm had a big crash with the rest of tech, and that uh, created a lot of millionaires that turned into hundred thousandaires um and that changed the dynamic of their retirement situation so just make sure 15 percent is probably where i would cap it um and royal bank of canada or like i said overall uh not a bad place uh definitely worse places to be in the financial sector now my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline in one of the most volatile markets in decades active fund managers underperform now that's the headline uh but it is some pretty interesting data here. And it, this morning started looking at 3,000 active funds. And it basically said about 47% of them outperformed. And so a little bit more than half underperformed uh, in the trailing 12 months. So call it uh, during the pandemic and early parts of 2021, which you would think would be a good time for active managers, but it was about average. Now, uh, I think those numbers are kind of what you should expect over a one-year period it's always hard to really tell plus active funds are always going to have higher fees so uh, if you take them all in aggregate and you take out a higher fee level compared to the index you're going to have the majority 
underperform. And this was a very slight majority uh, underperforming. So um, I don't really take a whole lot of stock in this, uh, but it is an interesting stat to see what uh, the pandemic did versus active versus the passive debate. This definitely wasn't a shot across either way um, in, in my book. Now, 25% of all active funds beat their pa- passive counterparts of last decade, but that's skewed because 11, only 11% of large cap funds outperform. So you start digging into bond funds, for example, small cap funds into uh, foreign funds, you definitely get active management becoming better than most. In fact, nearly 85% of active funds in the intermediate core bond market category outperform their passive peers through June of 2021. 85%. And that's what most of the active versus passive uh, debate participants fail to talk about. They always focus on large cap stocks, but large cap stocks aren't always right for everybody, A. Uh, they're also not the best long-term performance category. If you're talking longer term, you want mid and small cap, and that's where a lot of the active managers do much better. In fact, you know, when we invest for clients, a lot of uh, our more aggressive strategies are in mid and smaller cap holdings. So that's something uh, to consider as well. And um, so that's what you have to you have to understand is you have to look at the details. Don't use a narrative as gospel, look at the actual numbers uh, and dig a little deeper than kind of the headlines. I know that's difficult. There's a lot of headlines being thrown at you, but it's definitely important for you to do that. And uh, another example of that is cheaper funds succeed twice as often as the pricier ones. They have a 35% success rate outperforming versus the more expensive ones, only 17%. So once again, going back to that the lagging of performance of active has far more to do with higher fees than them being bad at what they do. Okay. Uh, and make sure you understand that distinction. Now, when people take the time to leave an invest talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their question quickly. So here are some questions from an iTunes reviewer, Jeff from Alabama asks about Bristol Myers and it says, I recently bought 100 shares of the company at around 58 when selling weekly cover calls at 59 strike. Um, let's see. Bristol Myers, BMY. You know, this is not the best in my mind to uh, be selling cover calls because it's down a downtrend. Um, and also the implied volatility is not very high. So you're not getting great premiums. So this is not a name that I would probably be uh, investing in or doing uh, cover calls in. Thanks for the review. Now we're heading into a break and you're, we're ready for your finance and investment questions now at InvestTalk at 888-99-CHART. No two portfolios are alike and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, my name is calling from Washington. I had a question about ticker symbol BICI, Vicky Properties. I bought the stock about three months ago of Ron Santana's CEO. Uh, there was some inside trading. He bought some stock as well. I like the yield on it, and I also 
like the fact that it's an experience-based industry. The uh, casino and the stocks are down right now, so I'm uh, hoping it's a good time to buy this stock. But definitely not looking for a value check. So if you could please help me out, I'd really appreciate that. And thank you guys for the great show. Are you looking at Vici Properties? This is a real estate investment trust, and it owns, acquires, and develops real estate across gaming, hospitality, entertainment, and leisure. And it's oh, okay. It, company operates segments are real property business and golf course businesses. So it does have some golf uh, exposure. Yeah, a lot of golf exposure. It looks like so. Uh, that's. That's, I think, the issue here is golf actually has some secular uh, headwinds. Um, There's less younger people growing up and golfing. And so uh, that's that's a struggle um, there in my mind. Now, it does yield about 5%, which is nice. Technically, it's had a pullback, but a lot of that has to do with interest rates rising. Remember, when uh, interest rates rise, that is a headwind for the REIT sector often uh, because they are – many times bond proxies. Now, the issue I mainly have with this is that even before the pandemic, their business was was struggling. Um, and 2018, made $1.43 in funds from operation. 2019, $1.47. Now, 2020 was a good year, but uh, golf was in fashion because it was outdoors and it was socially distanced and uh, things were uh, – there were some, some tailwinds there. Uh, 2021, made supposed to make $1.82, but that – Estimate is now coming down for the full year, $2022.95 expected. So it is now growing, but growth has started to slow. You look last quarter, revenue growth is up only 11%, whereas the quarter before is up 46%. Earnings were only up 5%, where the quarter before is up 28%. And that's what you're seeing here is this the deceleration, that 20 to 50%, 20% earnings growth, 50% revenue growth that you saw uh, throughout the pandemic. That, that's not there anymore. Once again, that it was a very COVID-friendly time uh, for golf courses, or COVID was a friendly time for golf courses. That's starting to shift now that people can travel a bit more, um, get outdoors in other ways. And I just don't, I don't love this. I just don't. It's it's not bad, um, but I would be looking for an exit, a different area of the REIT space. It's just not my favorite. It's not bad, but I just don't like those secular headwinds. Now, let's touch a bit on onshoring. This is a big, big trend uh, that I think is not going to reverse. And some companies are moving workers and production facilities closer to home. And others are actually buying out their suppliers or bringing in former contract workers in-house because it's hard to find people. So you might as well pay the, uh, the those contract workers directly, keep them on, secure them as employees, where if they're contract work, they could go work somewhere else very easily. And this is, this is the new trend, and I think it's going to be more than just a, a short-term thing. And for more than a generation – Executives at big companies have outsourced manufacturing to distant areas, uh, distant countries. They outsourced many of those low-skilled jobs to other countries, and they relied on just-in-time inventory. That's why our supply chains are really messed up is because now – and they're still kind of trying to operate in, in a lot of ways in that sense. But it's harder to get 
goods. So you have to have higher levels of inventory. It's harder to get goods quickly. And so that's also dragging down our supply chains and grinding down ocean transportation to a halt. I'm still looking out here in Laguna Beach. I still see tankers or, or uh, ship, ships uh, waiting to be unloaded from the port of Long Beach. And many companies have had trouble getting raw materials, hiring workers, booking space on these vessels. And if you look for uh, look at the uh, companies that are that are that are consulting with these customers uh, in areas like automotive, medical, consumer durables, and they're shifting their manufacturing either back here to the U.S. or to Asia, actually Eastern, uh, sorry, in the Eastern Europe. Uh, Eastern Europe is a very popular place because, especially for those that have big business in Europe, it cuts the uh, the the shipping times down to Europe dramatically, and the wage levels are still competitive. Uh, and in some ways, they're actually more stable regions these days than parts of Asia. And these companies are realizing that right now they're losing business, and they're stuck with efficient but very inflexible supply chain. So with efficiency and just-in-time inventory brings lack of flexibility. They're not very resilient. And now they're, these companies are trying to figure out how do we bridge that gap between efficient but also resilient. And the pendulum swung, the pendulum swung way too far, and the COVID crisis obviously has shifted that sentiment dramatically back. And so... You add the retirement situation and how many people have retired and less workers, and they're also investing in automation. In fact, Pulte Homes is one example. They are now manuf- they op- are, are opening an ma- uh, automated manufacturing facility in South Carolina that is going to help with their shortage of skilled workers. And this is a trend that I do not think is reversing. This is going to be over the next decade plus. Now we're heading into a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. 
That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, Bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E dot com hacker dot com each day invest talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email would you like your question to be put near the top of the list just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for invest talk at itunes and be sure to include a brief question with your itunes review comments Hi, my name is Ron. I'm in Northport, Florida, and I bought Alco and Rio about six months ago, and I've seen the uh, Rio stock really go down significantly. I'm still holding on to it now, hoping and trying to figure out if it is going to recover. So any advice towards that particular stock would be appreciated. Have a good day. 
All right, this is uh, Rio Tinto, and it has come down pretty dramatically, about 29% from its 52-week high. And this all has to do with Chinese real estate and the fact that uh, the majority of their revenues come from iron ore, which goes into producing steel uh, in China. And uh, China you typically uses that steel to build buildings and with evergreen problem and the shift in policy away from economic growth fueled by uh, the real estate sector, that is the major issue here. Now, the good thing about Rio is they do have a lot of other assets from copper, aluminum, diamonds, gold, uh, some industrial metals. And so they're a bit more diversified than you're just your pure play Iron ore miner, uh, like uh, like a volley, you know, not say volley's uh, pure play, but but more of a pure play. Um, and the biggest issue too is that they are uh, out of, um, you know, th- that they're coming from Australia, where a lot of their iron ore is is purchased. Um, and there's some clapbacks uh, from China on the Australian government, and that's another issue as well. So. Overall, I don't like the downtrend. I don't think the risk versus reward is there quite yet. Um, earnings are expected to fall 34% next year from an increase of 75% this year. So my price of where I'd be interested in it is around $55 a share. Now it's at 63 So um, still waiting for that downtrend to abate. In fact, today uh, just hit new, a new 52-week low. I mean, not 52-week low, but uh, yeah, about 52 weeks. So I'm passing on Rio for now, uh, but around 55, that's where support kind of comes in, and that would be interesting around that level. Now, this is Invest Talk, and let's tackle another iTunes review question. P. Lorenz02 says, I would appreciate if you could review SNDR, SNDR, which is Schneider National. It has me stretching my my head. Maybe scratching my head is what he meant. Earnings are higher than expected, and uh, it's not doing that well. Well, let's see. Operates as a transportation and logistics service company in North America. Yeah, so that's really the issue here is while earnings are going up, um, historically they have not been a great allocator of capital. And I do think that shipping costs are kind of peaking, you know, and typically when it's all in the news, it typically is the, the trade's kind of behind you. Um, and I'm looking at some of the um, the large sip shippers, um, and I'm seeing a lot of them roll over, um, show some relative weakness. Uh, what's interesting is trading 12 months, they're, they have negative free cash flow, and their operating cash flow actually has declined from 2020. So they're not operated. They're clearly not in the. They're not benefiting from the current shipping situation, and I don't see that changing. To be honest with you, um, and I don't really love the chart. It's just kind of uh, been vacillating sideways. Um, let me take a look here at some longer term data. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just. I'm not a fan of it. Um, I just don't love the chart. It's now up into resistance right around $26 a share. I would definitely pass on Schneider National. Look for a shipping company that has better long-term fundamentals um, and is benefiting from a tighter 
shipping supply market. And clearly this one is not really um, in that ballpark because their cash flow is now negative. Should be they should be printing cash in this environment. Now here on Invest Talk, we get lots of stock specific questions and we get questions having to do with other financial aspects as well, like taxes and interest rates. So let's play one now. Hey Justin, hey Steve. This is uh Raul calling from Texas. I had a quick question about companies like PSEC, Prospect Capital, and Main Street Capital and how they'll perform in the upcoming year with the rates that are gonna be raised. Thank you. Uh, all right, looking at Prospect Capital and Main Street Capital, and these are these are called BDC companies, and what they do is they're kind of like a closed end uh, investment company, and they invest in um, private companies, debt and equity, and they pay a high yield, eight point eight percent currently for PSEC. Um, and in an inflationary environment, they actually should do relatively well. The, pro- the, the Where they get into trouble is a deflationary environment where uh, there's less dollars to go around to repay the, 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 the loans that they have out. Okay, And that's the environment where they don't do that well. In an inflationary environment, they should do relatively well up into a point. Now, if their borrowing costs start to blow out. For example, uh, the uh, the bond market uh, widens out, right? High yield, and that's kind of way, the way you think about it. It's kind of like a high yield bond, kind of a junky rated high yield bond, <laughs> because that's what they are. They're they're, they're very very levered, um, but you're going to get uh, that dividend, but a high level of uh, volatility, and you need to be prepared for that high level of volatility. If you look at the, let's go back to the weekly chart on PSEC. This is Prospect Capital, P-S-E-C is, is what he was speaking about. I wasn't sure about the other one. But uh, in COVID, it went from $6.50 all the way down to a low of $3 and, what was that, 75 cents or so. So you could see the extreme level of volatility more than the overall market. But it's rebounded dramatically now to $8.20. even collecting a dividend since then. So... I know it's probably nice. You're probably looking at the nice. Is this is this a monthly dividend? Let me take a look here. Yeah, the monthly dividend that you're going after, but you just have to be prepared for that level of volatility. If you have some sort of economic disruption, um, you have yield spreads widen out, meaning uh, yield spreads on junk bonds widen out. They're going to get hit because their cost of borrowing, cost of capital, is going to go up. And so those are factors that uh, could knock this back on its heels. Now, longer term, its return on equity, it's been pretty poor. Now, it's been good over the past uh, um, year or so, but it's been in the high single digits, low teens. Uh, for a company who's, who has decent leverage, um, I, I, I don't love that. Um, so those are kind of the pros and the cons. It should do well, though, in an inflationary environment. Now, I think it's worth time to take a minute making you aware of the benefits of working with Steve and I that we offer at KPP Financial, which is based in Irvine, California. And it's where we practice parallel investing and operate with our philosophy, which is independent thinking and shared success. And parallel investing is how we accomplish that. And we invest right alongside our clients. So if you want to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go-to meeting, 
Just go to investtalk.com or call our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. No obligation, just a conversation. Help you understand your situation a bit better, pros and cons, and make sure that you are headed in the right direction with your financial path, your path to financial freedom. Now, we'd love to get live calls and any of your recorded questions too. So let's dip into the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from Atlanta. Hello, this is Zach from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I got an IRA question. So I'm 20 years old and I have around $20,000 and I've maxed out my Roth IRA last year and I'm also financially still supported through my scholarship and through my parents. So this is not money that I need anytime soon. So I'm curious if I should even be putting money into my Roth IRA or if I should just put it into a regular IRA because if I put it into a Roth IRA, I'm realizing now that I'm not going to be able to touch it until I'm like 67 or something like that, which I wouldn't be able to pull out and use for a house. So I might be answering my own question right now, but I was just curious on if you think I should just be putting it into a regular traditional IRA or Roth IRA. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Good question. And the answer is no. I think you should continue to invest in that Roth IRA. Uh, you're young. You're probably in a low tax bracket. Uh, you probably don't earn a whole lot, like you said. It sounds like you're still in school. And I would be contributing to that Roth IRA because you're locking in that low tax rate. And your assumption that you can't touch it till you're older is actually wrong. You can t- you can take out the what you have put into it at any time penalty-free. Because you've already paid taxes on it. Now, you can't touch the growth of it until you're 59 and a half, but the, the, the money that you put in, you can take out penalty-free. So with, with the traditional IRA, you also can't touch that until you're 59 and a half. And if you take any money out before, it becomes a 10% penalty. So I absolutely would continue to feed money into that IRA, or sorry, that Roth IRA, um, and that will give you some flexibility if you did want to uh, go out there and uh, buy a house and, and have some flexibility on that front. Great call. Great question. Now let's touch a bit on the shift in monetary policy around the world. Now, inflation is not just a U.S. problem. It is global. And it's been more stubborn, I think, than most policymakers, central bank policymakers, have wanted to admit. And there's starting to be a shift in the bond market that is adjusting for a quickly tightening of monetary policy from around the world. First, Bank of England could be the first major, major central bank to increase their interest rates. Remember, the Fed is just talking about tapering QE. The Bank of England on Thursday is possibly uh, going to be the first ones to major central banks, major central banks, to act in the face of higher goods and energy prices. Uh, And so the UK inflation rate in September was 3.1%, but it's expected to rise to 5% over the next couple of months, more than twice the bank's target. And investors are now putting a 62% chance that on Thursday, they will increase their target rate. Bank of Canada surprised markets last week, and they actually moved up the time frame for when they might first raise 
interest rates from zero. The Bank of Australia, they also had a policy meeting on last Tuesday and declined uh, to, or sorry, they they shifted their target of when they are going to increase interest rates because of rising inflation. And lastly, most importantly, the European Central Bank. They pushed back on market expectations that the ECB will increase interest rates next year, but investors were not buying the message. They thought it was too weak. And they actually increased their bets that the ECB will raise interest rates next year. And that's the problem here is these increasing levels of inflation around the world are putting pressure. And so they're trying to thread the needle. And the Fed over the next couple of days are going to have to have the proper messaging. And it's going to be a challenge to balance their credibility with flexibility, but then also give honest answers to the markets. And with inflation now at 3.6% for core inflation, that's excluding food and energy. If, if you add those in, you're talking uh, closer to 5%. And policymakers are now less convinced than they were before of that inflation will moderate. Now, the U.S. bond market has increased their expectations for interest rate increases by the Fed next year. The probability of at least two quarter point raises by the end of 2020 is now nearly 80%, 8-0. That's up from 20% after the Fed meeting in September. So you're talking about a six-week turnaround, dramatic turnaround. And short-dated bond yields have been rising as well, and longer days have been relatively falling. That's the opposite of what occurred in 2013 during the taper tantrum. That's when longer-dated U.S. bonds uh, rates went up as opposed to down. Now they're just kind of uh, they're, they're going down a bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. And this is a interesting dynamic. The first time that we've seen them really get hawkish. And uh, we had a tough September, but a strong October. And um, I'm wondering, will November confirm it? Will November confirm the reversal in markets uh, that's you're going into a tighter fiscal or monetary situation, looser fiscal, but tighter monetary. Uh, and you're starting to see more and more indication that that is the case. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So, if you're going to call, you want to do it right now. I want to know what is on your mind. We have about seven more minutes before we close up shop, and that's why I want to hear from you. We love our live calls. We love our recorded calls. Whatever is on your mind, get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. And the question is, during the market downturn, do dividends stay fairly steady, at least for blue chip companies as compared to share prices, or should I expect some fluctuation in the uh, dividend stream that I'm hoping to get. Got a question for Steve or Justin? Now is a good time to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART.
markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Duncan from New York. This question is kind of not about stocks, but about banks. I just recently bought a condo in Mexico, and it is a vacation rental. My bank is currently Capital One. They are great domestically, but in terms of bank wires, putting in information, trying to transfer money, it has been a nightmare. Would you suggest or know any banks that's good with foreign transactions? I know this is kind of might be out of your scope. Just want to give this a shot. I really do appreciate it and just trying to be a better investor overseas now. Thank you very much. Bye. Definitely a bit out of my uh, bailiwick, but I do think that Capital One is 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 probably not where you'd want to be. Um, they're more of a credit card issuer, and sure they uh, they have some banking capabilities, but uh, they're not going to be as um, you know widespread uh, with their international capabilities. Um, if you're looking at ones that are better for Foreign transfers, for example, uh, or foreign uh, that have a broader foreign uh, exposure. Let's say that um, obviously HSBC, um, Citibank uh, might be a, a good one. Um, JP Morgan, obviously very large and international. Um, those would be the ones that I would rather go with than a um, a Capital One. One thing Capital One's mainly focused on credit cards and. Sure, they're they're expanding into banking, but that's not their tried and true business, and they're not going to really focus on international, um, you know, dealing with international customers in that way. And so, I would be looking for the more bigger multinational banks, uh, like I said, J.P. Morgan, uh, HSBC, Citigroup, etc. Now, let's pivot to an iTunes question. This is from Bob from Virginia. My question is, from a fundamental standpoint, what are the five main data points you utilize when determining the value of a stock? Now, this is a very loaded question because it depends on what method you're going by. Now, are you talking about the discounted cash flow method? Well, then you're looking at uh, some sort of cash flow, whether that's earnings, could be, uh, could be operating cash flow, could be free cash flow, uh, and then you're putting some sort of a growth rate on it. Depending on how fast uh, you expect the market to grow, the economy to grow, that company to grow, uh, et cetera. Then you're discounting those future cash flows based on a, a discount rate, typically the 10-year treasury rate. So that's a discounted cash flow model. You also could just be looking uh, from a multiple perspective and saying different companies within this industry on average are trading at this multiple of enterprise value to, to EBITDA or um, just maybe a straightforward P ratio, which wouldn't be my uh, my recommendation, but yeah, enterprise value to EBITDA, enterprise value to cash flow, uh, uh, enterprise value to sales, those things I would be considering and comparing them to its peers. And that's another way to value a business, maybe giving it uh, a premium to its peers because of better management, better product, better growth, uh, or maybe a discount to its peers because um, it's maybe has thinner margins or, or, or something like that. Um, so, there are a lot of factors to consider when putting a value on a stock. Now, 
I think what's most important is not necessarily putting a value because that's no, nobody's going to get the perfect perfect answer to that. It's more about the business. Is the business good or bad? Is the business as the business consistently produced strong profitability from margins to return equity, return on invested capital? Or is it cyclical? Does it go up and down? That's a big question. Now, I think we can squeeze in another brief question here. Let's try. Hey, Steve and Justin. My name is Pete from Staten Island, New York. I had a question regarding uh, U-Haul, U-H-A-L, kind of like the self-storage space. Um, and I think they also have some ties to the insurance industry as well. Just wanted to get your guys' take on it. Thanks. All right, U-Haul. Um, I actually like U-Haul. Um, it's a bit expensive at these prices, um, but I think with a lot of people moving <laughs> to uh, all over the country to cheaper areas, um, uh, I'm actually a, a fan of of this name and this space. And once again, it's a bit overbought, a bit expensive, but um, it is on my watch list. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. Now over 35 million. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.